Crazy Faith Talk. I'm Erica. I'm Sarah. And I'm Steve. So we are in the midst of our Lenten series for 2022, where we look at the different ways that we can view sin um, and the danger of if we're only viewing sin in this one particular way, what are some of the pitfalls along the way that we are sure to fall into? So, so far we have looked at um you know, just a general introduction of sin and that forensic courtroom accounting of sin. We have viewed sin as missing the mark or falling short of the glory of God. And last week we looked at sin as a broken relationship. So where are we going to today? So today we thought we'd we'd talk about how uh, sin is sometimes described in the imagery of uh, sickness or disease or impurity or uncleanness, kind of clumping all those ideas together. Um, and this is a little bit different from the kind of legal black and white, you broke a rule or didn't you break a rule? This is more organic kind of a metaphor. And um, maybe we could tease out ways that this shows up to, to give people sort of a feel like what, where are ways that this imagery shows up in the scriptures to give people a feel of, yeah, what does, it, what does it mean to think about sin being like a sickness or an addiction or an uncleanness? So the first thing that comes to my mind is the man that's born blind, that Jesus heals when everybody's asking him, well, well, Jesus, who sinned, you know, this man or his parents. And he says, neither he, you know, he was born this way. So the glory of God can be shown. But like, we get that idea of like people are born different, born disabled, born with some sort of, or have a disease because they did something wrong or somebody in their family did something wrong. And, uh, certainly, uh, that the way Jesus responds in that story makes it clear. Jesus doesn't think that's how it works, that uh, sickness is equal to sin. Um, On the other hand, there are stories in our scriptures where somebody does something, breaks a commandment, and sickness is a consequence, sometimes a direct consequence that makes sense, like touch a leper, you get leprosy. Um, And sometimes it's, you know, uh, where's that story uh, in the Torah where um, Miriam uh, is mouthing off about about um, oh, yeah. Moses's mm-hmm. uh, black-skinned wife, and uh, so she's struck with leprosy, uh, and her and like in this moment of divine poetic justice, her skin becomes pale, almost as if say, "Okay, well, if we're gonna if we're gonna play the game of colorism, okay, Miriam, here you go." Um, but that's a weird, difficult story, and it sure looks like sickness is punishment for you did a bad thing, and yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yes, but in that story also, Aaron, her brother, Moses's brother, is right there along with her mouthing off and only Miriam is punished. So it's one of it's one of those like things where it's like, yes, disease is a punishment for sin sometimes yeah well (laughs) and i think that's that's such a helpful reminder because it's it's the, the 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 bible itself i think uh prevents us from making a hard and fast rule of sickness equals punishment for sin but there are enough of those episodes that if you're being sloppy you can string together a bad theology of sickness equals punishment and 
maybe that's most dangerous of all because we end up wielding it like, oh, well, it's selective. You know, my list of sins that I think are particularly bad are the ones that God will zap you for. Uh, and the things that I do, nope, those don't, those don't get punishments. Because, yeah, it, it also comes quickly at Catch-22 of yep. sickness equals you've sinned and good health and good fortune means that you have not sinned and God is blessing you. Right. Right. Like it quickly becomes like that two edged sword exactly. or double coined or whatever. Exactly. But like, and it's like, uh, sometimes maybe. Right. And then sometimes, no, sometimes just because you aren't sick is because you have good health care. Right. Right. And, and, uh, that it, it creeps into our language even well-meaningly and innocently. Like if you'll, you know, ask somebody how they're doing and they're, they're trying to, to speak from a faith perspective and they'll say, I'm blessed. I'm in good health. And like when we use blessed as a euphemism for everything's going well, it's got this sort of subtle implicit theology of, ah, when things aren't going well, it's a sign that God is not blessing you and that, you know, therefore God is opposed to you or something. I mean, it's, it's the conventional wisdom of good things happening equals God's blessing that Jesus has to, shake to its core in the Beatitudes, right? You know, nope, Jesus picks and lifts up particularly the people who got everything going wrong um, as a way of deconstructing or breaking apart the danger of this kind of uh, sloppy theology. Um, but I, th- I think you're, you're so right, Sarah, that it's so easy to, to harden this into sin equals sickness uh, or sickness equals uh, you've done something wrong. Uh, it, it also seems like this is the, the crux of the book of Job as well, right? Where Job yep. not only has things, terrible things happen to his family and his wealth and his fortune, but also gets sick himself. And all of his friends make that theological move that you exactly articulated, Sarah, that, oh, you must have sinned because bad things happen to bad people and good things happen to good people. And therefore, if something bad happened, we need to find out what terrible thing you did that you were entangled in Job. And the whole thrust of that story is to blow apart that bad theology. Yeah. So this is part of the frustration that we have to navigate through, the three of us church nerds talking about it, is that, yeah, sometimes the Bible uses the imagery of sin is like sickness. And maybe that word like has to do a lot of heavy lifting there. Sin is not sickness, but it's like it in the sense that sin weakens us or affects us individually or affects us in a way that's pernicious and insidious and can't just be uh, easily paid off or something like that, that there's something wrong in me that needs to be healed. That's, that's beyond just a debt that can be paid. And I think maybe this is a place to talk about for all the ways this could go wrong or can be abused. One of the things that's helpful about this model of sin is it avoids sort of a, uh, the, a, a cheap misunderstanding of our first image about sin being like, uh, a crime that has to have a punishment or a debt that has to be paid is like, if I owe a debt, it doesn't really matter who pays it. If somebody steps in and pays it for me, great. Well, I'm good to go. We're, we're clear. I'm, I'm okay again. Um, but if I'm sick, nobody else can get healed for me. I'm the one who has to get healed. And if there's something in me that is broken, um, that needs to happen for me. I can't have somebody else step in and do 10 extra good deeds to make up for me being a rotten cheat or a liar or something like that. There's a, something in me that has to be healed or made well. And I think that's something that this model of sin is, is helpful in articulating. Are there other places in scripture or theological tradition then maybe that uh, would, would help flesh this out? So one story that I keep coming back to, and I've been coming back to it a lot during the past two years with COVID, is 
you know, all of the stories we have in the New Testament, especially about lepers mm-hmm. and how lepers were treated in Israel in the first century. And we get a glimpse of it in the New Testament, right? Because like we know that lepers, basically any skin disease was considered leprosy because they didn't have like a hard and fast. Oh, yes, this is leprosy and this is acne and this is um, some other skin disease. It's like, no, 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 it's all leprosy. Um, and because they didn't know what caused it and if it was contagious and some of them were contagious and probably some of them weren't just everybody who had leprosy was kind of just exiled outside of their community. And they would often then find community with one another in like leper, like makeshift camps, like, you know, not the super cleanest or like well put together places just because the people there were all lepers in various diseases. Some of them were like sicker and some of them were healthier, but like the way that society treated them was the same of no matter what kind of skin disease you had, you were sent out so that you wouldn't make anybody else sick or unclean. And so, so that is definitely a disease. And when we, especially the story of Jesus, and I think it was the 10 lepers and the 10 lepers are standing far away from Jesus. And they're all like, you know, Jesus, son of David, save us or forgive us. I don't remember what verb they used there. And Jesus healed them and sent them home. You know, that's that's just a story that keeps coming back to me recently of that healing. Sure, sure. It's interesting, too, how uh, like I think about the the poetry of what we sometimes call the servant songs in Isaiah conflate forgiveness of sin, redemption and healing all at the same time. So that like classic uh, uh, chapter, uh, chapters uh, 52 and 53 from what we call the book of Isaiah. Uh, it's one of those uh, texts that is often read in uh, the in the church's life uh, near Holy Week and Good Friday and that imagery of the suffering servant who has healed our infirmities and forgiven our sins and does this through his own redemptive suffering. So like you can clearly see lots of strands of theology that New Testament writers will then go, oh, that's what Jesus does. He's the one who heals our infirmities and pays for our debts and forgives our sins and it happens through his suffering. Um, but like, so you get all those things sort of side by side and I, I think uh, Isaiah 52 and 53 helpfully avoids the pitfalls of this kind of theology. It, you know, there's no point where uh, Isaiah is like, every time anybody is sick, that's they've sinned. And anybody who's well doesn't have sin. Like it doesn't make those moves, but uses this poetically as an image without hardening it into the kind of bad theology of uh, you sin, therefore you're sick or uh, you're well, therefore you are not a sinner or something like that. But I think you've really you really helpfully pointed out, Sarah, how what was intended uh, as public health protocols for an ancient 
uh, Israelite community of, okay, people who are sick with potentially communicable diseases, let's keep them quarantined. And my goodness, we've lived through that kind of logic in the last several years. And even when it's not fun, my guess is folks can at least understand the logic of it. Yep. If I'm sick with a contagious disease, I should not be licking other people or around. I mean, that makes sense, especially in an era that doesn't have germ theory to know, is it touch? Is it by breathing? Is it by, you know, uh, aerosols, you know, but just, just stay away from people who've got the sick, you know, the sickness. Um, but that's not intended originally as um, a, a moral indictment. It's more how do we keep the whole community safe, but how easily that slides into a moral judgment. And then people who are forced to be separated from their lives and community and family because they've got sickness, then also become isolated from community and quickly become pariahs and outcasts. And man, you're just a stone throw away from, yeah, you're one of those outsider sinners and we don't want you anyway. Um which also suggests that part of what needs to happen when somebody's made well again is to be restored back to community. And maybe this is a touch point for how this model also has some overlap or, or connection with the, the idea we talked about last time about sin as broken relationship. And that if part of our need is to be restored into right relationship, that when, say, lepers are cleansed, Jesus doesn't say, good, still, you know, still you have to live outside the camp, but you don't have any skin problems. But no, now you get to go back to your families, you get to have your life again. Yeah, and I think that story in particular, because it does weave in so many of the different models of sin, because, you know, the, the leper that wanted to follow Jesus, Jesus encourages him that he needs to go home and repair those broken relationships in his community that were set, were broken when he had to leave. And he's made well, like physically made well. It, it, it's just a bunch of stuff woven in with a lot of parallels to today yeah so yeah yeah, it just kind of keeps coming back to me in my head and so yeah these are a lot of half-worn thoughts so my apologies no that's 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 helpful i i think this is a helpful model to talk about sin because it brings together both that sin is something beyond our control that you might not choose, but also that sin is something we have an active role in participating in. And that both of those are maybe side by side. Um, and I, I think that's helpful because our, our other models of sin, uh, like the, the courtroom kind of a scene uh, or, or incurring a debt, that can feel like it's all about you. You made bad choices. You chose to rob the bank. You chose to steal. And because you made the bad choice, now you have to pay the penalty. Whereas sometimes sin is talked about as something that is bigger than we have power to get out of or we find ourselves in, um, in a way that like, you know, someone can be born with a pre-existing condition. That's not at all your fault. You know, like the, the story you, that we referenced earlier about the man who's born blind and the assumption from the disciples is somebody must have sinned to cause this. But there are times when we are we are born into conditions that we didn't choose and that also put us at a disadvantage. So just like you can be born, you know, if, if a parent was addicted to um, uh, uh opiates in the pregnancy, you now can be born with uh, an addiction to opiates as well. Or uh, you can be born with allergies or other kinds of conditions or things like that. And it's not that you choose it, but you have to deal with it and you have to live with it. And I think sometimes the scriptures are helpful in reminding us that beyond our choosing it, we wake up in life in a world that is affected by sin and that we are tainted by or or tinged by sin already beyond just you did a bad deed or a wrong thing. We're born in this condition. uh, And that that means that there's something fundamentally has to be 
I don't know, uh, healed or redeemed in each of us beyond just individual acts that we've done wrong. I think this is another helpful corrective then for us uh, because a lot of our culture, um, maybe not every pocket, but a lot of our culture is comfortable talking about sin in the, like the, the, what we sometimes call the lowercase s sense of sin is individual wrong deeds. And that fits really well with our sin is rule breaking, right? So we got a list of rules. Here's the rules. If you do this bad thing, that's a sin, that's wrong. And just like the judge will punish you for breaking a law, God punishes you for individual actions. But that's not really the only way the scriptures talk. And sometimes the scriptures talk more about sin as this condition that we live in and have to deal with that is bigger than us, that requires something we need to be healed of or freed from. And that we need both of those together. Otherwise, we we reduce this to you just broke that one rule and therefore you're a sinner. That's probably where the theological notion that's sometimes called original sin comes from, right? That idea that human beings are born affected by sin and you know um some different traditions emphasize that more than others or or spin it out in different ways maybe we can talk a little bit about where where are the guardrails on that and where 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 be their dragons in that whole uh, theological ball of wax but uh it seems to me that notion that uh human beings every last one of us is born into a reality that's already affected by sin and that none of us really starts out as a clean slate all of us are already influenced by people who are, you know, have had those, you know, mean streaks in them or have selfishness in them or have greed or, you know, envy or whatever. It's in us and in potential before I've done anything. But also there's something in me that is kind of broken, kind of like being born with a pre-existing medical condition that you didn't choose, but you still need to have dealt with. So, so the way that I've often heard the original sin described is that we are all born basically selfish, sinful creatures, right? Like the babies are like really selfish and they really just care about themselves and their needs and their wants. And it's as they grow older, you have to be taught how to be good. You have Mm -hmm. to be taught what the difference between right and wrong is. Otherwise, you're just automatically going to choose the wrong thing because you're going to pick the selfish thing you're going to pick the thing that benefits you and you have to be taught Mm -hmm. how to think of others Mm -hmm. and to be empathetic um and you know as, as a parent there's some 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 days you know, the really stressful days, it's like, oh yeah, that's so true. <laughs> and then other days it's like, ah, but it's like, it's just the kids, kids don't know any better, right? Like they're, they're, they're still developing into who, who they're going to be and who God has called them to be. Um, and it's not like they're doing any of this out of malice. They're right. just acting their age. Right. Well, and I think that's a helpful way of talking about it, that maybe we aren't, that the, the, the judicial model uh, assumes that uh, every time we break a rule, it's intentional, malicious, and you intend harm, and because we're all mustache-trilling villains. Whereas I think this notion is like, we can be doing things that are harmful to others that are not okay. And if we don't understand it, okay, it, it, if you don't understand your actions, that's different than you malevolently trying to harm somebody, but we should also stop doing the thing that is harming somebody else. And the growing and learning in that way is, is helpful and important. So like, I think that's a, that's a really helpful piece about the notion of uh, however we talk about original sin, that like when our default is that kind of selfish mentality or, uh, 
it, it, yeah, we, we, we may not be trying to be mean, rotten people, but learning uh, a different way is still a way of dealing with the, the effects of that sin in our, in our lives, I guess. And that sin is more than just, I consciously choose bad things, but sin is sometimes when all the choices in front of me are rotten and there doesn't seem to be a good one and you still have to act anyway. Like, yeah, some, sometimes we're faced with choices where none of them seem like they are free of, um, uh, of, of being tainted by sin. It, it, to, to borrow a place you went in our last episode, Sarah, you talked about the case study of the character of Chidi from the TV show, The Good Place, right? And so, you know, he's, he's constantly in this moral quandary of what's the right you know, uh, morally good thing to eat for breakfast because, you know, this, this uh, food, uh, people might be, you know, um, uh, child labor if I would get the blueberries or this is, you know, it has lots of chemicals, you know, like, and like there are sometimes no good choices that aren't affected by uh, some, something rotten, you know, and, or at least where it's hard to know. And I think being able to name that as a part of what an honest way of talking about sin is, that it's, it's, it's beyond just, is there a rule that says you can or can't have blueberries in your muffin? It's more about what could my actions, could my choices be harming other people, even without me knowing it or realizing it. And naming that seems uh, like an important thing that, that responsible Christian theology has to do. So all that said, I think we've helpfully talked again about how this model of sin as sickness both correlates and goes alongside other models we've talked about and also has its own pitfalls to avoid. We've got more to talk about. So join us next time for another way of thinking about our diagnosis as sinners here on Crazy Faith Talk next time. See you. Bye. Bye.